Well, it is going to be interesting to hear what the RBA Governor Philip Lowe has to say today. He's talking in Sydney. Will he talk about the need to take rates a bit higher than they've been letting on and maybe a bit faster? Certainly, one member of the Bank of England sees the need for the UK to follow the US rate path more closely for fear if they, if they don't, they're going to weaken the pound and that's going to make inflation even worse. One way to tackle it all, lots of people out of work. That's what Larry Summers says is needed. So today, with the US having been on holiday on Monday by and large. It's largely words from the central banks today. It's Tuesday, the 21st of June, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, Juneteenth holiday in the United States. Such a weird name, isn't it? But uh, I mean, shares and bond markets were closed. We've seen a small fall in the US dollar. In fact, no big moves on the major currencies. The the Aussie dollar is up uh, less than 0.2%, not quite managing to get back over 70 US cents again. US share markets closed, but shares are up in Europe, 0.9% up for the Eurostox, 51.5% for the FTSE 100. And bond yields also moving up in Europe, up nine basis points for 10-year bonds in Germany, 11 in the UK, uh, up 12 in France and Italy. And oil rising again. Brent up 0.9% to a little over $114. But not a huge amount uh, going on overseas today, which means perhaps we can focus a bit more on Australia today uh, with NAB's Ray Atrill in Sydney. But let's start overseas, first of all, Ray, because the uh, People's Bank of China, they've kept their uh, five and one year loan prime rates unchanged. So 4.45% for five years, 3.7% for one year, because they lowered them, didn't they, to uh, just last month to try and stimulate the economy. So if we've got this easy policy now, coupled with the fact that there's uh, no real citywide COVID lockdowns now in China, maybe they are over the west of it, 24 new cases in China on Sunday. That is one case per, by my calculations, one case per 58.5 million people. That'd be like in the UK, one person in the whole of the UK getting it. But in fact, 12,000 people got it in the UK on Sunday. So China, you know, could be on the road to a rapid recovery now. So that's got to be good news, hasn't it, for the global economy? Is Could that be enough to sort of stave off, a, you know, all this talk of a global recession, for example? Yeah, morning, Phil. Um, yes, if you believe that, well, if you believe the statistics, but also if you believe that, you know, opening up, um, isn't going to result in fresh waves of infections, as we saw in Beijing what the week before last, um, you know, necessitating fresh localised lockdowns. So um, certainly mm. it's the case that, you know, the faster China can get back, get its economy back on track, the, the greater the, the prospect is of avoiding um, a global recession. Whether the US can avoid that will probably come to um, shortly. Um, but as for the PBOC, uh, there wasn't really any expectation they were going to cut and then Actually, normally the loan prime rate follows reductions in other rates, particularly, you know, that um, LPR reduction last month that you mentioned, which was focused on the five year area and, and clearly designed to, to try and stimulate the housing market. But I think it's really been a case of pushing on the string because of reluctance on the part of households to, to want to borrow more given unemployment insecurity um, and the fact that house prices are now falling in China. Um, so, yes, yeah. I'm sounding a little bit pessimistic, but but you're certainly right that if it is the case that, you know, China has sort of seen the back, can see the back of the zero COVID policy sooner rather than later, which I have to say has not been our baseline assumption 
um, you know, is one of the reasons that, uh, you know, we still think that, um, you know, a, a sharp global slowdown or if not outright recession is still a serious risk. Um, you know, that would certainly yeah. challenge that view. But I think seeing is believable. But it's worth keeping an eye on China, isn't it? Just in case, you know, that they do start to see some sort of recovery because that would help. But but also, obviously, then it impacts um, uh, demand. So oil, uh, iron, oil is actually up, isn't it, today? That's interesting. Iron ore, so this is curious. Iron ore prices are well down. Oil is rising again, and so are commodity currencies like the uh, the Aussie dollar. So I guess the Aussie dollar, once again, is being pulled in two directions, isn't it? It's been stretched apart. That's right. Well, I mean, on a day-to-day basis, as, as we often say <laughs> on the podcast, mm. the correlation between commodity prices and the Aussie is, is often nowhere to be seen. So, um, you know, yeah. although last week, you know, Aussie didn't fare particularly well, and we had that, what, 6 7% fall in oil prices, which, you know, I think quite rightly, you know, reflects concerns about, you know, demand destruction, um, but much more evident in the iron ore price, as you, as you correctly say, but also things like copper, which is seen as something of a, of a bellwether for, for the global economic activity. But um, on a day when the US is out and, and they're looking across the commodity complex, I'm not seeing anything that's, that's outstanding to say that, uh, you know, we're now seeing the beginnings of a rever- reversal in some of the commodity price weakness that we've, uh, that we've yeah. seen. But just on get- the Aussie, it, it, you know, to answer the, you know, the question, it really is volatility and risk sentiment that's been important. Aussie's a little bit higher than it was on Friday, and, and risk sentiment is, is a little bit better as far as you know how the US stock futures and European indices behaved overnight. So at this stage, I wouldn't look beyond that for an explanation for a slightly firmer Aussie. And, uh, so which I guess, so you know, trading is probably a bit slim as well, isn't it, because of the uh, the fact that the US is closed. But on the, the whole recession piece, there, there was a, a, a there's a, a article in the uh, head on the street section of the Wall Street Journal over the weekend showing clearly when rates rise by any degree there's almost always a recession you know well they go back to 1955 but it seems pretty clear that you know if you raise rates you're going to get a recession if you do it to any degree although Larry Summers uh, has been saying well maybe not a recession but certainly stagflation either way it's not good and he seems to think the only way to, to to stop that happening is to make sure lots of people are out of work, basically. Um, exactly so. I mean, obviously, Larry Summers, who's, how would you describe Larry Summers? He's the bete noir of the current administration and the Fed, I would say. But certainly he's been, you know, very much at the forefront of the uh, of the stagflation brigade, hasn't he? And and, and to, 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 to a large extent, I'd say he's being, you know, being vindicated to some extent. But yes, the comment that caught my eye overnight was that he says the US needs five years of the unemployment rate above five percent in order to uh, right. to solve its inflation problem and um there was a um, um Rodrigo and I've been referencing it in some of our presentations. There's a, a paper that he put out, I can't remember if it was earlier this year or late last year, uh, jointly with another author, um, showing that since the early 1950s, there has never been an instance where inflation has been above 5% and unemployment has been below 4% that hasn't resulted in a recession in the following 12 to 24 months. And to your point, I think the, you know, the, the common expression that, uh, what is it, that uh, US business cycles don't uh, don't die of old age, they're typically murdered by the Fed, um, obviously rings true in that respect, which is why he's saying that uh, the Fed needs to be making more difficult choices. And, uh, you know, clearly mm. we're saying that without a significant weakening in the labour market, um, the US authorities are simply not going to get on top of their inflation. Oh, these problem. are difficult times, aren't they? Or unusual times as well, because we had so many people leaving the workforce as well. So, I mean, if you're trying to get unemployment up over 5% from 3.6%, I mean, first of all, that's quite a rise. Uh, but, you know, also just a lot of people choosing not to work as well. So if you take away those jobs from those people who are prepared to work, you cut production even more. 
I mean, that really could scar the economy, couldn't it? You know, the, the long-term implications of this could be quite huge. Well, quite possibly. And certainly, you know, five years of unemployment above 5% from from levels, what are we, three and a half is the, is the low point, isn't it? And, uh, you know, yeah. even if that trends up, and the Fed's latest forecast from last week, have got it going to 4.1%. And uh, I do suspect there were a few noses growing around the FOMC table when they... Uh, dried the ink on those particular forecasts but um but yes certainly that would um you know um you know the the question is you know how long is it going to take um you know we had um um was it loretta mester um or one of the other fed governors talking at the weekend and and saying that look we're not going to get on top of the inflation problem in in sort of 12 months it's going to take two or three years and i think key for markets is going to be you know how are we looking in the second half of the year? Is inflation trending down? And is it trending down at a sufficient speed that we believe that within sort of two years we can we can have a two in front of inflation? That's the point at which I think the market can, can think that the Fed can pause. But the market's already there, right? It's already got rate cuts yeah. in the curve for the back half of 2023. The Fed's latest dots have it um, coming down in 20, by the end of 2024 at least. But um, the markets are certainly, you know, behaving as though they think that uh, recession is, is far more likely. And so does that mean the RBA, because we hear quite a bit from them today, Governor Lowe is going to be talking this morning. They've also got a release out this morning entitled Review of the Yield Target, uh, a media release. So, I mean, could this be the day that the RBA becomes a bit more hawkish and starts to, you know, between meetings, turn up the rhetoric a bit more and perhaps say, well, you know, it looks like the cash rate's going to go beyond 2.5%, which is sort of like where they've been saying they, they, they need to reach. Are they going to change the goalposts a bit do you think well i think they've already become more hawkish you know, no more so than in um, governor lowe's um, um interview with the abc last uh, middle of last yeah. week at least where he explicitly mentioned two and a half percent as being a, a reasonable level uh, and then right. we had could, they, could they be going more than that because everybody's trying to up the ante now and, you know as we were saying on the podcast a day or two ago you know two and a half percent isn't isn't a great deal above you know what you're expecting the inflation rate so the real rate's not actually that much higher is it no but i mean a, a week on from um you know a week on from, from explicitly mentioning two and a half is, is governor Lowe going to come out and say <laughs> and actually no off that i meant four <laughs> now obviously the rpa has got form for uh, changing its mind hasn't it um you know mm. given that uh, that forward guidance that rates weren't going up to 2024 which i think will be interesting in the context of this media release which is a little bit intriguing but um you know obviously you know the f the, you know the the, the wisdom of giving being, you know, the YCC target and the forward guidance that's implicit in that, um, which clearly came crashing round, you know, crashing down around their ears when they abandoned the YCC policy, is certainly worthy of some uh, some introspection. But whether we'll get a, you know, a, a really sort of honest appraisal, if you like, of uh, you know whether it was the right policy or not, I'm, I'm slightly sceptical at least. But um, but we have the speech. We also have the minutes, of course, of the, uh, the yeah. team meeting. So well, that's going to be know, interesting because of that 50 basis points. I wonder, you know, how much discussion was going around that and uh, how much argy-bargy was going on inside that meeting room. Well, that's right. Although, you know, the, the way that the RBA structure is a little bit different, isn't it? So we don't, unlike something like the Fed minutes, we don't get the full flavour of, you know, he said, she said, and, and many and several and a few, for example. So I'm not sure we're going to be, you know, that much the wiser in terms of how strong a consensus there was for that uh, 50 basis point move. But, um, you know, certainly having done it and, say, listening to the Ian Harper uh, interview um, last week, Week. He's one of the independent members saying, really saying that, uh, you know, that sort of endorsing that sort of move up to at least two and a half percent and saying that, that they need to really, you know, do it sooner rather than later, I think, to, to make it very clear that they're not going to let 
you know, inflation, you know, um, you know, let the genie out of the bottle. Although, again, Phil Lowe's told us that he thinks inflation will be 7% before the end of the year. So, to me, the genie is already, you know, floating, yeah. you know, somewhere near the top of the bottle already. So, Christine Lagarde uh, from the ECB uh, restated their intention they're going to raise interest rates in September. Um, she said the outlook is still surrounded by high uncertainty, uh, but actually still expecting the economy to grow in the medium term, she said. Uh, I, the question is, will they, you know, are they going to raise rates by 50 basis points or even more when they do? Which, you know, 50 seems fashionable, doesn't it? And we had uh, Francois Villeroy from the ECB as well talking up this anti-fragmentation tool, which sounds like something you've got on your Windows desktop, but actually is the way, it's just a fancy way of saying buying bonds from southern European governments, isn't it? To, uh, to That presumably means if they do that, they would have the ability to have a more aggressive approach on their their rate hike so i wonder whether that is what they're leading to as well hence hence the emergency meeting last week to get that in place get everyone thinking about it and then they start to talk up interest rates could that be the uh, the, the the map that they're trying to move forward on well uh, possibly certainly to the extent that you know other things equal that you know the faster they're raising rates the the wider that spread might be between the euro peripheral mm. bond markets and uh, and the inner core um you know there might be some underlying motive there but um you know i think it um you know the the key quote is that the from um, from Francois Villeroy is that the, the, whatever the mechanism is, it should be available as much as is necessary. So they're not specifying, you know, we're not going down the yield curve control path as far as Italian or Greek government debt is concerned. They're not, I think, quite rightly not specifying, you know, what sort of spread, um, you know, would, would cause them to, to, to come in because then you're just setting up a target for markets to aim at. So I think they're being, you know, quite rightly being a little bit cute and a little bit vague as to what they do. But I think the important point is that no one should be in any doubt that um, you know they are very determined to use whatever tools they they you know they can invent if you like to limit the extent to which um, you know spread widening will will be tolerated. It doesn't mean you know that they're not going to allow it under any circumstances, or as I say, that they're going to set a target for it. But um, but yes, I suppose at the at the end of the day, it's uh, you know it does give them a bit more ability. They would think to to jack rates up, and I think the question of you know obviously twenty five is baked in the cake for July, and and the debate over whether the the September move will be twenty. 25 or 50 is still is still wide open and given what we're seeing from other central banks at the moment you'd have to say that that 50 is a better bet than 25 and indeed markets are better priced for that at the now moment. i know we've got some french listeners so they'd be appalled if i was to go le canard boiteau which is i think that is a very bad french for a lame duck uh, and i'm wondering whether the having a lame duck president actually is is going to make too much difference in in europe does it does it does it change france's position in any way as far as markets are concerned um well i guess it's sort of too early to say but certainly it um you know you've got almost the, you've got the right and the left basically all the all the you know the, yeah. the, the, both faring relatively well right so it does sort of it does reek of sort of lame duck no presidency to some made. extent exactly. anyway i mean it has been seen yeah. you know in, in effect it has been a rubber stamping exercise hasn't it up until last weekend's election so um it is going to, yeah. to make it a bit weaker but does that mean that mr monsieur macron's sort of leadership role in in, in europe um you know particularly with respect to to trying to uh, to be a something of an intermediary dealing with uh, vladimir putin um 
you know, d- d- does that weaken his position somewhat? I, I, I don't know. So at the margin, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps it's, it has some impact, but uh, so far markets seem to be fairly nonplussed. Well, I mean, it, it didn't seem to be having much impact on Putin anyway, did he really? Look, Catherine Mann, uh, she was, you know, one of the new recruits to the Monetary Policy Committee at the Bank of England since uh, last September. She's worried about the uh, the pound weakening and pushing prices higher. Uh, so she wants faster rates. So basically, you know, she's worried about the fact that the, the UK and the US may be so far apart. You know, what is it? One. 1.75% versus 1.25%. But, of course, the we know the Fed path is just only going to get steeper from here on in. So, I mean, she is sounding quite hawkish from the Bank of England. Uh, indeed. But, I mean, some intriguing comments there, because one of the comments she's made is that with given, you know, how fast rates are going up elsewhere, her argument is, well, if we don't follow suit, we'll end up with a weaker pound. And, and But very quick to say, look, we're not targeting the exchange rate, but the implications of a weaker pound are that it's going to add to inflationary pressures. Um, yeah, and therefore that's unwelcome. So, um, you know, and, and that is often the case. We've heard it from, uh, you know, on the easing cycle from the RBA, right? The view was that if, well, if we don't, if we don't do QE when everybody else is doing it, we're going to end up with a weaker currency and, you know, and that's, uh, you know, or sorry, a stronger currency. So we go back two years. We were in a slightly different environment, weren't we? <laughs> and, um, you yeah, know, well, so, um, so this yeah. is that whole argument. Now we're not targeting the exchange rate, but the exchange rate matters. I think that's where. Catherine Mann was coming from, but um, no indication mm. that she's not going to continue to vote for uh, for 50 basis point increases at future meetings. No, we get the CBI Industrial Trend Orders Survey. So this is basically a bunch of companies saying about their orders and their output expectations. Interestingly, in the UK, actually, um, I mean, they've been um, holding up quite well, actually, given, you know, they were falling in the months actually leading up to the pandemic. Uh, now they're, you know, looking reasonably strong relative to that. And we get U.S. housing data out today as well. Um, they're they're going to be down, aren't they? I mean, you know, <laughs> look at the uh, the well, rising you- mortgage rates. Well, you certainly so. I mean, every single housing statistic has, has, has sort of confirmed, you know, the downward trend in the housing market, really, that's yeah. really been sort of the catalyst for which has been, you know, the sharp fall off in mortgage applications as a result of the, you know, sharply higher, um, you know, 30-year fixed rate mortgages. So um, mm. expecting more of the same, I think, a 3.7% drop in existing home sales. And just on the CBI, incidentally, there's also a, a series for selling prices. So I wonder whether that actually will be the one that, yeah. uh, that grabs a little bit more attention than, uh, than the actual orders or output. Yeah, and retail sales for Canada as well, which were pretty flat in May. Also, they've got house prices as well in that, uh, as well in, in Canada. But, uh, look, I guess the main thing is going to be the central bank speakers, isn't it? That's the, the focus. I've got a whole bunch of them uh, coming up over the next 24 hours. No, absolutely. And say no more so than down here. So I think we're all on, on, on RBA watch for, for most of this morning with, with three separate uh, set pieces. Yeah, we'll see what they say. Good to talk, Ray. Catch you again very soon. Thank you. Well, thanks, Phil. And that's it for this Tuesday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again tomorrow morning. See you then.